Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Now, question is, can you be successful in real estate investing and also have a demanding job at the same time? And the answer might be, it's going to be tough, but everyone who has become financial free has had a full-time job, like literally without exception. And this is a focus of our show today with Andrew Shutsky because he has a very high demanding job. He's a CIO of, of a very, very large medical company. He's got a huge team that he manages, and yet he has got hundreds of units of LP and GP multifamily units. And somehow he's been able to do that on the side. And we're going to get the bottom of how exactly he did that. So stick around. Also, we have all of our free resources, all our free downloads in our freedom vault that's the michaelblank.com forward slash vault it's our uh, secret to raising money is in there how to analyze deals all of our free resources our calculators are in there uh, so check it out at uh, freedom vault the michaelblank.com forward slash vault i want to give a shout out to nia on linkedin who's thanking us on LinkedIn for sharing our wisdom in the Bigger Pockets community because uh, we have like 151 blog posts in there as well. So Nia, thank you for that. Give us a shout out on social as well and and hopefully we'll mention you on the show as well. And uh, I want to also give a shout out to Caitlin Wen. She has done uh, a first deal. She raised her first $200,000 and she partnered with another operator in 304 units in Alabama. So it's a great way to get started in a, in a partnership. And that's kind of what Andrew talks about is here is how do you get started? And that is with partnerships providing something of value. So Caitlin, uh, congratulations on being a GP in your first deal as well, working with mentors, Matt Bronner and Philippe. And uh, if you're interested in mentoring, we'd love to have a conversation with you at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. I just love that. Our, I mean, we, about every week we have a student or students doing deals right now. It's so effective, our program. So if you value mentorship, you want to scale faster and avoid some of the bigger mistakes, then uh, consider our program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and then schedule a call and see if that's right for you. So with that, let's bring in our co-host, Garrett Lynch. Garrett, what's going on? How's it going, Michael? Hey, you know, we do a lot of stuff all day long. Not every everything we do is the right value. And so I'm constantly looking at, should I be doing this? Should I stop doing this? Should I delegate doing that? Like, and I think we have this discussion all the time, even as partners, you know, should we continue what we're doing as partners? Should we act as this person or that person? Or should we try to hire that person away? And if so, when we free up our time, should we sit on the beach with our free time? Or should we do something else with our free time? So how do you feel like your time is best spent right now? Yeah, so right now, it's never perfect science. So you're always, there's always things that are beneath you that you uh, you end up doing because they need to get done, or you know you feel like you're in your highest and best use over and over again. But the the key is to really audit yourself. So I've, what I what over time, what's happened is I start to audit my hey is is calling this old friend uh, going to serve my time? Like I have so many only so many minutes in the day. If I talk to this person, it really has no value to me. Is that really worth it? Or is there a way on just the business side? Are these things, can I farm this out? If I spend a little bit of time and invest it into teaching someone else to do it so that it's an ongoing task and I don't have to deal with it anymore, is it worth me investing that time? And so constantly auditing how you're spending your time, that's what I'm always doing because there's so many tasks that come at you, new ones, old ones. And I think one of the things that I found effective is to look at the ongoing tasks first that are going to come every month that I don't like doing 
and figuring out a way to offload those to someone else. Yeah, this is this is tough for me. I mean, I first got started, and you know, the, the problem is, you know, I, I can do so many things, Garrett. You know, I really can. I have a technical background, right? So when I got started with this whole website thingamajig, I could hack the PHP code and the JavaScript code and and do all this. And this is cool because it makes me feel better. But is it really the best use of my time to hack together a website? Well, or should I hire that away? It's a tough call. Yeah, because because you get now you got to pay someone to do it, right? And God forbid we pay someone. But you get it's, I think the, the good words, like you said, audit. And it changes with time also. Like uh, there's things that uh, you and I have done and, and when we finally hired someone to do that, we're like, oh my gosh, why didn't I do that earlier? Right. But you got to, you're right. You got to put it up. You got to, now you got to, you got to find someone. Okay. You got to interview people. Then you got to train them for the first three months. It's no question easier for you to do the job yourself than to train someone to do it. Right. So you're actually taking a step back before you can take a step forward and it's painful. And then it always costs more money than you want to spend. I remember when I first brought in a virtual assistant, you know, and I'm, I'm paying her 250 bucks a month. And I'm like, dude, I don't have 250 bucks to spend right now. Okay, my restaurants are losing money, and I'm doing this stupid administrative stuff, this repetitive stuff, you know, as part of the restaurants. I'm like, dude, I don't have this money, you know. But I'm like, I think I should probably hire someone so I can actually focus on putting out the fire and getting myself out of the situation. And that's what I did, but it's always very painful, you know. When we bring anyone up in Nighthawk, we're like, man, this person is really highly compensated. Like, is should we really spend that money, you know? So yeah. I, I, that's a tough question. I think auditing is good. And then they can they can quit too. So like well, that's a problem. Then you're, then, yeah. you're, then you're back to to square one. We you know you spend all this time trying to hire people. So it's it's never really like a perfect science as to how that how it's all going to play out, but the key point is that to your ability, you should always be trying to level up. It's it goes back to the interview we did with the 80/20 rule right? Where you spend, uh, you know, 80% of your time on, on 20% of, of your problems. Okay. So how, but then you can level that up so you can get, the, make those problems go away and then, and then shift into the next upwards area of that. So the things that when we first started the business that maybe I was doing a bunch of stuff on that front, we have people now, as we've scaled, we've been able to level up and push things onto someone else. And, and so I think the, the, as this ties back to multifamily is that the more you can scale, the more resources you'll actually have to be able to displace yourself in, in certain ways within the business. And that's the beauty of our industry. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, that's a great segue into our conversation here with Andrew Shutsky because we really talk about the value of your time because, you know, he's, you know, he's a, a CAO of a 700 million dollar medical technology business out of Pennsylvania. And somehow, magically, he has uh, figured out how to accumulate 1,100 units as a GP and LP in 15 to 20 hours a week. And that's pretty amazing for someone that has got that level of responsibility and has got a family. And we really want to know how he has done that. How can he achieve those things, still do a good job in his, in his job and not get you know divorced, right? How does he do that? And that's what we're going to get into now with a show with Andrew Shutsky. So let's get into the interview. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Andrew, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Yeah, so you're a busy guy, you're a tech guy, you've got a pretty busy job, and yet you were able to build up an impressive portfolio on the side. And one of the objections we always hear or very frequently is, my gosh, am I going to be able to do this on the side? Do I have enough time to actually do this? Or do I need to be Superman or Superwoman, right? And obviously, that's what I want to talk to you about this show, because I hear this a lot. And, and, and I love talking to people, busy people like you, who somehow figure out how to do this super busy job responsibilities and then you've got a family and you got you know you got to rent some chores every once in a while and then all of a sudden on the side you build up this portfolio so i want to know kind of from for you why did you first get interested in real estate to begin with like what did you start doing because very few people well more and more now but typically now people don't wake up and go oh they read you know the purple book and they go, oh, I know, I gotta buy myself a hundred plus unit apartment building. That's exactly what Kiyosaki talks about. No, they go, oh no, I need to flip a house, or I need to buy a house, or I need a house hack, or something. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I'm curious to see first of all why did you start looking at real estate, and then what was your initial strategy? Yeah, so my story goes way back. Way, I mean, I, I got into the multifamily space way late. I'll, I'll admit to that. But my story goes way back. From a young age, I've always been obsessed. With anything real estate, I was that kid that loved to play Monopoly. It was my favorite game. And I always thought for a number of years, and it's embarrassing to admit this, that I didn't discover the, the real purpose behind this until later. But I always thought it was just you know prop, brick by brick, single family by single family, maybe a duplex or, or a townhouse. And I don't think I'm abnormal in that either. But it took me a number of years to find you know where the accelerated path was in, in the multifamily space. But it started really back you know, out of college, 2007, I started my, my first single family became what was called a, a now called a house hack. I didn't, wasn't, nobody was calling it back then, but I was traveling. I was, you know, I was traveling 50 weeks a year, five days a week. So I was never home. And I'm like, well, this is a waste to have a space in my house go unutilized. So I thought that was going to be, Hey, I'm going to keep repeating this for a number of years. And then, the, you know, 2008, 2009 happened. I, I pulled back when I should have been buying, right. Another mistake learned. And then I started down the short-term rental route. So I was like, hey, I love going down the shore and being near the ocean, vacation properties. This is cool. After a few of those, you realize it's a serious capital outlay. And there's really not, aside from appreciation, not a massive amount of cash flow. It's a fun business to operate. You deal with some really friendly people, but the scale would take, you know, even at you know, two decent incomes, you know, decades, not in not a number of years to get where you need to be. Now, were you looking for just additional income on the side or were you looking for a way out or what was your motivation there? Yeah, in the beginning, it wasn't really a way out. It was just more of like, hey, how do I make best use of the money I'm making in my job and not, you know, piss it all away on, on the fun toys. So let me, let me invest in property, which, you know, is going to appreciate over time. So it wasn't a cash flow. It really wasn't until I learned about multifamily that I could realize this could be, a, you know, an active replacement for income. Uh, so that the short-term rental business was great from an appreciation play, but it really, I never got me thinking about, oh, wow, this could be my job someday. I would need, you know, 30, 40, 50 properties and, you know, a quarter million dollars a piece to put down. It takes a while for most people to do that. <laughs> so it's a good point. So you have this excess money and you're trying to figure out what to do with it. Were you also investing in a stock market at the time or? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. So what was kind of like in the first year or so when you were getting into real estate, kind of what was your allocation there? What were you investing in or what were you thinking of investing in? So at the, at the beginning, it was probably 80% stocks, 20% real estate. And it was kind of like whatever is making from stocks or, you know, flipping those for every year or so I'd put back into real estate. And now I've kind of flipped. I use kind of stocks or maybe bonds as my short-term holding period. And most of it goes back into real estate for the, for the main reason that 
I like having control over what happens with my money and the asset, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly I'm not right. Talk a yeah. little about your about your job, and and you know, we talked about you have a demanding job. What, what is your what are your day job? Yeah. What do you do? So I spent 20 years in the technology side of the world. Um, I'm a CIO for a medical technology company, so oversee all aspects of uh, actually where we invest our money in software. So a lot of parallels to the investing space, and and quite frankly, meet a lot of investors through that space too. So yeah, I run an IT organization uh, for about a $750 million company. Yeah, that's pretty nice. So so that keeps you pretty busy. And so you started buying like these little houses here and the short-term rentals here. Talk a little bit about when you made a shift into a, a multifamily. What is that? What have you done since then? Like get, get us up to speed a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. So it was late 2020. I came across a post in Bigger Pockets, And again, I feel like I'm a decade too late, but better late than never, right? where I saw a story of a syndicator who happens to be local to where I am. I'm like, Hey, I know that area. I, I kind of know this guy and his name. I read, I think it was like 62 pages of his blog. And I'm like, Oh my God, how did I miss this? As obsessed as I am with real estate, how is it possible? I've ignored this for that long, or I just never came across it. So that got me that, that kind of created a spark. It led to reading of maybe 25, 30 books, signed up for a mastermind, went to a bunch of local meetup groups and it became from a, it went from a passion to an obsession, uh, and that led to a, sh- a few short months later my first partnership as a G- as a GP with you know a smaller role, but started to scale from there. That's pretty good. So what what, what have you done? So give us an, an, an so you done some passive, some actives. Uh, what have you done? Yeah, so my first deal was was investing as an LP. I kind of wanted before I wanted to go you know raise money and find my own deals. I wanted to know what it was like on the LP side of things, right? So. Found a property that made sense. Found an operator actually through Bigger Pockets. Invested in, a, in actually a fairly large complex. It was over a 900 unit building at that point. So I got more than I expected to learn from that. And I actually reached out to the operator. Said, "Hey, would you willing to show me behind the scenes a bit?" We did that. And it wasn't really the same experience as running your own, right? But I used that as, as part, you know, building my resume and credibility. And now I had an idea what it was like on the LP side of things. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to find my own deal. So started going to conferences. And really found my way into my first deal by offering my services. Hey, I've got a great professional background. I can help put the deals together. I, I know the financial side of things. I can help raise money. And I, even the tech side, right? I can help you know, build the investor platform, the portal, all that cool stuff. So that was kind of how I worked my way into my first. A little bit of luck and a lot of perseverance, I'd say, is how I chalked that up. <laughs> so how did you find that first deal then? Did you find the first deal or did you net- network yourself to that first deal? Yeah, it was a network. So it was somebody somebody else had a deal, just got it under contract. And quite frankly, they had a number of deals they were trying to juggle and balance and close. They just needed a lot of heavy lifting to be done. <laughs> so right place, right time, maybe. So it was through networking. So did the deal kind of dictate your partnership or were you looking for the partners in advance? You're like, hey, when we find something, let's do it. What was kind of the cadence behind that? Yeah. So I was out to do a number of like matchmaking sessions, right? I knew kind of where my strengths were. I hadn't really honed it in. And quite frankly, it's still work in progress for me, honing in that one thing. Um, so I, I just started reaching out to people out of conferences and bigger pockets, meetup groups and local meetup groups and just saying, hey, here's what, here's what I'm about. Here's my background. I'm transparent about everything. Here's the criteria of the kind of property I'm looking for. Here's the role I want to play. And it, I probably talked to 30 or 40 individuals before it clicked the first time. So so you kind of went through this process of identification. You're like, hey, here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. And then yeah. how did you finally arrive at the one? 
Yeah. So uh, maybe a bit of serendipity as well, but it, like I said, it was kind of a, a matchmaking of, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew, you know, I'd like to start building my brand and I was looking for something in that, you know, not too big, not too small realm. Like I knew I wasn't going to start out with like a 10 or 20 unit. I know how much time I have available a week. I know how much, how much I can spread myself throughout the year. So I, I was shooting for, you know, a 50 to 125 unit deal size to get my feet wet, you know, talking to investors, building the brand and things like that. So that's kind of what I was advertising. I was very clear about that up front. And with that, you're selecting out more than you're selecting in, right? And then I think you get pickier over time who you want to work with and things like that based on values and all that kind of thing. But so. you did a lot of networking is what it sounds like to me. And were you specifically looking for what we call a deal finder, someone who's finding yes. a deal? Yes, with, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so absolutely. there's there's different career paths and, and people t t somehow naturally tend to one or the other. There's a deal finder, there's more of the capital raiser. Those are the perfect partnerships because a deal finder has the opposite problem you have, which is I need capital and maybe I need a, a co-sponsor or something, you know, some adult supervision maybe. Yeah. And then you have the exact opposite problem. You're like, I don't have a deal. And you know what? I don't really want to go find a deal. Like the activity just doesn't appeal to me at all. <laughs> so, yes. So you did a lot of networking. And is that the only deal you've done in that way? Or have you have you partnered in other other ways uh, after that? No. Right after that, uh, I guess just you get a lot of attention as you start to get your name out there and attracted. Hey, I could use your help here. And it was probably a month later that uh, I got into a 43 unit. And that one, that closed quickly. And then, you know, now since then, I've been looking with partners for our own deals, right? So we've been vetting and screening. So my role's kind of expanded. And it's and now I'm at a point where I kind of want to I want to pick one thing, right? Because it's it's really hard, as you guys know. I'm speaking to the experts here. It's really hard, you know, with say my 15 to 20 hour week budget, to be really good at building a brand, you know, keeping the podcast going, you know, maintaining the website, getting posts on social media, and corresponding with brokers on let's say five to seven deals a week and underwriting them and giving them the attention they deserve. It's really hard to do both. So I'm really not. Now I'm at a point where I got to pick one thing and that's just, that's where I'm at. So this is one point I wanted to, to bring up is that sometimes when you're trying to find your partners, it's good to do one deal and see how that goes in that relationship. Yeah. That's, that's actually how I met Michael was I came with what they needed. And I was mm -hmm. like, listen, I have a deal. You guys want to do it? Let's see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And they said, yes. And, and it went very poorly. It went horribly. Right. Nice. <laughs> the deal, we actually didn't close it. We actually <laughs> lost a bunch of money. It, it just flopped. Nice. <laughs> just nice. being candid. <laughs> but we worked on that together for like a year and they saw my determination. I didn't get paid for a whole year, by the way. I was like, and I had money in the deal with these guys and we're trying to pursue this thing, close it. By the way, I'm also like six years into my career and I've done this a bunch of times before. And I'm still in, we were just wasn't the right yeah. situation. Yeah. It was crazy, right? The really important part is that we didn't want to kill each other at the yeah. end of it. When everything fell apart, we had made decisions together consistently. And that was the big difference is that we, myself, Michael and Drew, whenever there was a big decision to be made, we jumped on a call. We decided on one way forward and we moved forward on it in the, in the same way. And then when things went sideways, we were like, well, we all did it together. And so and that's the key. I mean, just you do one partner, like you said, you do one deal with a partner and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do a second and third and deal, a fourth deal with that person, right? I mean, you could, hey, this yeah. guy's a knucklehead and that was the last deal you've done. And good news, the divorce is already baked in because in five years when you sell it, so it's it's a great way to actually get into the joint venturing game. You're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. And I couldn't 
agree more strongly with that statement. I, I think it's a map for me. The biggest lesson learned is when you're looking for a partnership, it's not just, Hey, what are your objectives? It's like, what are your values behind that? Right. I really value communication and quality, you know, connecting with investors, making sure every, every T is crossed and I is dotted. Whereas someone, I want to do that 2000 dollars this year, regardless of how to get there. That's not me. Uh, yeah, yes, I, I'm all about you know helping as many people and, and you know raising money and getting my name out there for sure, but not at the expense of quality. So you, I think you learn that pretty quickly, and you get more and more picky as you start to learn, meet more people, and see what your options are. So you mentioned just a, a minute ago that you have a 15 to 20 hour time commitment. I don't did you hear? Did I hear you right about that? So yeah, that that's a pretty high time commitment, and you know I'm going to assume that you work at least 40 hours in your day job, probably yeah. probably more like 50. Or 48, yeah. right? Yeah, that's about so, average. Yeah, correct. And do you have a family as well? I do. Two kids, young right. kids too. And, yeah. and at least, and, and probably at most one wife. And so, so you have some, <laughs> you, have some de- you have some, you have some demands yeah, on your time. And when you say 15 or 20 minutes in, in addition to your 40, 50 hours of job and then your family, something's yeah. got to give, right? You look yeah. at it like, oh my gosh, how's the man doing it? So how yeah. are you doing it? Yeah. So I guess one thing I'm fortunate about is I don't require a lot of sleep. So I, I use a concept I'm rigorous with and very disciplined with my time blocking and everybody else in my house sleeps in. So I really take advantage of that five to 7am window, Monday to Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday mornings between I'd say seven and 9am. When yeah, do you maybe go to bed? 10, pretty early, like 10pm probably. Okay. So you're still getting your yeah. eight hours of sleep. You're just I, shifting it earlier. So that, Correct. that yeah. means you're, you're, you're probably, you know, you're, you're watching less TV at night Yeah. and then you're getting up before you're not sleeping in. Yeah. And I guess I'm lucky that I don't need an alarm clock. I wake up and I'm ready to like, kind of ready to go. A lot of people aren't uh, morning people. So maybe they do the nine to 11 PM window. Right. And that's a lot of my friends are like, they're like, how the hell do you do that? <clears throat> to so me, my brain shuts down at that point. Right. Still I, though, I, I mean, Still, I'm, yeah. you, I'm sure you've talked to people. They're like, I can't believe, Andrew, how you're, how you're doing all this stuff. Is it, is it a time management thing that you, makes you successful? Is it, or something else? So or maybe it, in addition to, like, why, why are you, why are maybe you successful with this? And then some people think they can't be successful. Of course they can be, but they don't think right now that they can't do it. So I'll be honest, I've been refining this whole thing for the last year and a half since I've gotten serious about it, right? But yeah, time management is one thing. I think second is I, I use another process called time budgeting, right? Where I take, okay, the 15 hours, how do I want to spend my time? And I'm always auditing myself. And honestly, I catch myself, oh God, why did I spend so much time in A or B? So I'm, maybe I'll say I'll spend five hours as my cap for finding deals and two or three hours on education and two or three hours in finding investors. So I've got a budget of where I align with my goals for the year of like, how do I want to break that down? And if I'm spending 10 hours finding deals, I'm supposed to be the capital guy. Like maybe I should rethink how I'm spending my time, what activities I'm doing, right? How do you budget it? Do you write it down? Is it in your brain? Is it in your calendar? I do. I do. I write it down. I, so I started out like, for example, 2022, I've been refining this process because I kind of just was shooting darts at the wall for you know the last the first six months of 2021. I'm like, oh my God, I feel stressed out. And it's don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not a, I'm trying, I'm probably oversimplifying this, and it's not easy, but you just have to have discipline. So you start out with a goal of like, let's say I've got. 15 hours to use and you want, you catch yourself spending 25 hours, you feel exhausted. Okay. Pause. Am I spending time on the right activities? That's where I like to audit myself maybe monthly and go back and say, Oh my God, I just spent three hours writing a newsletter. Maybe I should get a VA to do that part of things. Right. Cause it, it's not a perfect process and there's no magic bullet, but I think it's just staying with it 
and being willing to adjust and adapt as, as you see yourself slipping off the track or have somebody else call you out and do that, you know? My wife sometimes reminds me that I probably need to come home every once in a while and, uh, you know, be present with the family. How, how, do, how does your wife react to the two jobs that you're working right now? It's a balancing act. And, and she's the first, I'm, I'm thankful to have that partnership. She'll call me out, right? If I'm, it's eight o'clock at night and I'm outside of my, hey, this is my seven to 9 p.m. is my time window of my family. I'm supposed to be hanging out, having dinner and playing Monopoly or playing, you know, operation, whatever. She'll call me out and be like, dude, this is not what we agreed. And sometimes she has, to, sometimes, often she has to reel me back to reality and say, hey, you know, we agreed, like, this is the sacred window. You're outside of that window. So, yeah. and you, and you find blocks of downtime here and there, right? Like I travel sometimes for work. I've got three hours at the airport. I can utilize that time. So it's, it's not a hard and fast. It always has to be those blocks, but 90% of the time I try to adhere to those, that concept. Yeah. So communicating with your spouse is super important, getting on the same oh, page. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's important because sometimes expectations can be different. She's thinking one thing, you're thinking another, but when, once you agree on something, then you can hold each other accountable. So I like, I like that. Exactly. So what kind of habits or disciplines do you have that help you? So the one thing uh, that I would tell uh, even my friends that aren't in real estate who are looking just to better their lives, is I start every day with the kind of a certain process that I've refined over, over the last year. And, and again, for everybody, it's going to be different. I happen to be energized by learning new things, right? So I spend every day, seven days a week, really for the past six months since I started this by reading you know 20 pages in a new book or listening to a podcast. So that for me, that gets kind of the juices flowing. It actually helps me in my W-2. It helps me in my family life because I learned some you know, personal things there and it helps the investing business. So for me, that a little bit of caffeine, a nice meal, maybe a little meditation or a 15 minute workout, that gets the juices flowing. And I feel like if it wasn't for that, and I've tried it, when I slip off track, things don't go as planned. <laughs> so that's, that's the next thing I was gonna get to actually. So when... We all have a plan, you know, and sometimes things fall off track. How do you get back to that? When does it fall off? And then how do you get back to it? Uh, which is, which we all kind of deal with yeah, that, right? Especially holidays. And then you go on vacation, you know, and there's so yeah. many reasons. Traveling. Yeah. So many yeah. reasons to, to not stick to the plan. Yeah. There, there's a lot. I, I'm a big uh, fitness uh, guru and I have, you know, buddies we work out with, you know, three, four times a week, or I'll do something. I'll do the Peloton in the morning. There's a lot of parallels between, you know, your, your fitness and physical discipline with your mental and you know, your learning discipline, your business building, whatever it winds up being. So I guess the biggest thing is if you're not the type of person that can hold yourself accountable and recognize them, you're slipping, find somebody else who will call you out on it. Right. So accountability groups are really great, you know, either for, you know, physical health, mental health, whatever it means, spiritual, whatever it may be. If you, if you're not the type of person, you'll probably know if you are, or you're not, that will recognize that coming to vacation, you're not self-motivated put yourself in a group that'll call you out on it. Right. I mean, that that's one way that I've learned that's, that's helpful. What are those groups exactly? Like what, what kind of accountability groups are you talking about? So, I mean, in my case, I'm part of a mastermind program, uh, actually a couple of different programs. And one of them, we meet twice a week. We'll start the, the week with kind of a, a Microsoft teams group. We'll send out a post, Hey, what's everybody going? What's, what's everybody have going on? And then I'll usually follow up on Friday with, did you hit what you wanted to do? And if so, great. If not, why not? And what are you going to change for next week? So one example, and then on the physical side of things, you know, usually Tuesday and th or Tuesday, Thursday nights, we'll meet with a, like a group we work out together for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes. And we'll kind of track on the whiteboard, you know, what milestones you want to hit. Is it, you know, running a marathon? Is it, you know, a certain bench press, deadlift or squat personal record, right? So keeping it visible, keeping the goals visible and then tracking everybody and hold them accountable against it. So. So this, this is pretty interesting. Where do you, where do you find groups like this? 
Uh, did what, you find them? Did you just make them or, or did you, where'd you so, uh, seek them out? No, they, I guess they're organized through, like we found the initial contact through big, from the, on the business side of things, initial contact through bigger pockets, and then reached out to an individual. We started kind of socializing about other names might be interested in the same type of concept. And then we kind of built the group from scratch, maybe this time last year or a little bit later. So one thing things I got to ask you, Andrew, is that uh, I, you're still working, right? You're still working your job. What's what's the plan I there? Got, yeah, 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 yeah. What's what's your what's your plan there? The, the magic that? question. The magic question. So, you know, I'm one of the few that probably enjoy. I really enjoy what I do in the W two. At the same time, I realize that you're a little bit vulnerable in this type of position, right? So you can't control your ultimate destiny. You don't have control of what happens to you in let's say two, three, four years on the line. So for me, you know, I'm kind of building that base. I, I know my, my business is something I want to build rapidly for the future. And kind of my source of energy for that is like, I want independence, right? So the plan longer term is to have control over, over my future. Whereas, you know, again, things are going really well at the W2 now. You never, you can't control what happens in a year or two with the market, with the company, with the financials, with leadership changes. Inevitably, I've been through cycles and cycles of change. You can't count on that forever, right? So that's kind of my source of motivation is like, Plant the seeds now, go hard, knowing you you've got something to fall back on for now, but it, it may not last, right? That's that's the vulnerability we're all up against. Yeah. What does financial freedom mean to you? So maybe for me, it's the it's the classic definition is you know, we've got a, a certain lifestyle that we like. It's not nothing glamorous right now. Um, being able to cover those expenses with a passive source of income, or I'll say something close to a passive source of income where I'm I'm still involved, but not maybe 40, 50 hours a week, ultimately it'd be great to spend, instead of spending 50 hours, let's say 60 hours a week between my W2 and my, I'll call it my, my, my business right now to spend maybe 20 hours a week on the business and then 40 hours of family, right? A quality time. That'd be the ultimate goal for me. So you see yourself spending more time with your family. What would you do with your family for 40 hours, Andrew? Well, that, thankfully, my kids are in school right now. But honestly, not just the family stuff, but pursuing passions, right? It could be spending more time fishing or, you know, spending more time in physical fitness and taking trips and traveling and pursuing, you know, I like to, to do woodworking and barbecuing, like more time doing that instead of an hour a week, it could be five hours a week. So it's not all 40 with family, to your point. <laughs> I think yeah. we kill each other. Maybe you know, I point. think there's, there's, there's a temptation uh, in, as entrepreneurs, yeah. it doesn't mean you're what you are, that, you know, the more you work, the more you can do. And therefore, the less you work, the less you can do. And I think there's a big yeah. temptation. And we got to be careful of that. The di- main difference is, though, is that you're you're doing it your, for yourself, right? It's it's There's no one telling you what to do and how to do it, right? It's, it's up to you. And therefore, you can control it, though the temptation is always there. And I think it's, it's very important to, again, sit down with your, with your wife and your spouse yeah. and go, hey, what does financial freedom really look like? I don't know. Have, yeah. you, have you done that? Have you, just, have you talked that through? Because look, I mean, I'm looking at your track record right now. It's an inevitability that you're going to make enough money to cover your living expenses. And then you have to make a decision. Well, do I still want two jobs or am I going to quit one of yeah. them? And what does that look like? Have you talked to your wife about that? Yeah, I guess we didn't use those exact terms, but I think when, when I started this business, we talked through what it would look like and what the objectives would be. And I'm like, and every time, you know, again, every time she'd catch me off guard of like, hey, it's 7.30 and you're interrupting family time, or you've got a mastermind call, or you're going to a seminar or whatever it may be, I usually remind her of like, hey, this is the reason we're doing this. And it's not it's not an Andrew thing. It's a Shutsky family activity. And this is, you know, something, that, again, that I can teach the kids and something that'll benefit the whole family from. So it's kind of a connection between Every time I'm investing time, it's not just it's not a just a fun activity. It's there's a reason for it. Right. 
Well, you're, you're sacrificing right now, and she understands that. But what I'm saying is once you get to that point, I catch myself. Like I'm in a, I'm in a point where theoretically I wouldn't have to do what I'm doing right now. I'm just very driven and, and a bit of a mission right now. And yeah. so my wife does remind me, hey, remember you did this because you control your time now, right? You're the boss. You can do whatever you want. I'm like, well, yes, but I have this thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and and I think it's important to sit down. What what does it actually mean? What does financial freedom really mean? Because you will figure out, you're a smart guy, you'll figure out a way to, to fill your 60 hours a week that probably doesn't involve your family. So sitting down and talking to your wife about, hey, what does that ultimate goal really look like? Here's what we're working towards. And this we're sacrificing in the short term to get to that to that point. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure I have additional work to do there as well, right? And, I, and honestly, goals can change over time, right? So, oh, yeah, the, absolutely. The initial concept again, okay, we're we're freeing up time to do this. A year from now, okay, your aspirations may be higher, right? So, I, I think it's having that open dialogue. There's no perfect process, but having a goal in mind to start with is fantastic and alignment there. But I'm always open to, hey, this can evolve, right? <laughs> it can escalate. And you got to be careful of the, of the maintaining the balance of the family and, and your aspirations. That's my, my, my opinion. When do you think you could consider quitting a job? Not, not that you, you, know, you want to do that, but how close are you? I think the goal is to be able to have the option to exit in two years. Yeah, yeah. And you're about a year into it then, at least. Two, I'd say two years from now. So it was a total of three from when I started, but things are moving quickly. So you, you never know. You can't control your outcome. All you can do is go hard, right? So yeah, it's, that's that's exactly right. Wait, you said you want to do yeah. 2,000 units this year? Uh, over the next two. Over the next okay, two. well, that's nice. That's that's yeah. nice. Yeah. You know, it, it yeah. always amazes me uh, also, Garrett, how quickly we have ramped up as well. You know, in the beginning, especially when you're first trying to do your first deal, it kind of takes a long time. And then yeah. the second and the third kind of come. And then you kind of find your stride. And you find your partners, you get your team together. And at that point, things, yeah. it's like a, it's yeah. like a hockey stick really. Right. So if that truly is your goal, by the way, 2000 units, the job is, is going to be far in the past. <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. a friend at least. So this, this is actually kind of funny, but he, he was uh, ramping up his multifamily kind of in a similar place actually. And he's like, he had like three or four deals. And I think this the splits were kind of unfavorable in the way they had it set up yeah. and he wasn't making a lot of money. So he went to get, he got this like job for like 200 K a year. He's like, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And then they like doubled in size. And he's like, I'm like, how do you still yeah. do that? And he's, he's like, Oh no, I don't. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's over completely. And to me, uh, it's more than just about the number of units is, is kind of just the target. Right. But it also depends on what's your role in those units and what's your ownership that's percentage. Right. And then there's a certain bar you got to clear. Right. So, if all you're doing is like, you know, I'm doing the tech side and raising capital, it's a different story than your asset manager. You have to own it. <laughs> Correct. You can't yeah, just so. you can't just be like an L, uh, an LP on the small level, and all of a sudden you're but you're done. This you is know, a common yeah, path, Andrew. I see all the time, and 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 it, and it may start with passive investing, like dude. But like I said, it it starts with a deal finding and or with a capital raising, like you talked about. And people specialize in that a little bit, but then after a while, they're like, huh. I need to own more of this deal, right? And then the deal finder starts to raise capital or partnering with somebody to raise capital and they have a partnership. Yeah. And then the capital raiser starts, you know, instead of partnering with a bunch of deal finders all the time, they're like, you know what? I want to partner with a deal finder and we're going to be the, we are going to be the operator. And this is a natural progression of where mm -hmm. you're, you're going. When that happens, you get more and more of the equity. Yep. But I, I want to wrap things up here. And um, what are your kind of your, your top advice, suggestions for people who want to get started and on the path that you're on right now, you know, and busy professional, 
you know, yeah. you know, it, and it's tough to extract yourself when you're when you have a high yeah. income, you have a lot of responsibility. It's a high hurdle, both in time and, and money, to kind of to kind of get that done. What's your advice to people who want to kind of get started, and not just get started, but build momentum to get to where are you right now? Yeah, I've got a couple I actually thought through ahead, so I want to share this with you guys. So, one and first and foremost, this is more of a mindset than anything. And for those, especially that are in, live in the world of you know, a high level W2 position, the family thing. And I got a quote that I like, it's find the fun in the chaos, right? Because if you don't lo- learn to enjoy things being hectic, it's hard to sustain that, right? If you're just going to be constantly pressured and, and you're always worried about chasing one thing or another, find the enjoyment in it. Otherwise you're not going to survive. Yeah. <laughs> First and foremost, uh, another, another piece, we talked a lot about time management and I'll say be, be ruthless with your own time and respectful of others, right? So again, don't be afraid to audit yourself or have others call you out on it. If you're spending 15 hours a week on non-value add activities, it's not going to last, right? And you're not going to have an additional 40 hours poof out of nowhere and then expect to make productive use of that time. So be ruthless. And I say that like bold capital underline letters with how you invest your time, who you're talking with, you know, how you invest your time generally. And I, I guess the last piece that comes to mind is be yourself and focus on your strengths. You don't have to build every weakness up. And that's kind of the mistake I was trying to make is I was trying to be, to do everything and, and please everybody in the beginning and really focus on the one or two things early. I, I spent, like I said, six, seven, eight months trying to do fine deals, off market, on market, partner with people, go to conferences, you know, obviously with the W2 in the background, it's not sustainable. It's just going to burn yourself out. Right. So, so really t- uh, ask yourself, what are you really good at and what do you love to do? And you decided that you were good at what? Yeah, so I, I I'm still narrowing it down. I I, lo- I love finding deals, and I love I love the investor relations side of things. And I'm probably going to hone in on one of those two uh, in the next few months here because it's just not. It's I'm going to be more successful doing one of those than two. How can people reach you if they want to get a hold of you? No, great question. Uh, so my investment firm's name is Redline Equity. So you can email me directly at Andrew at investwithredline or www.investwithredline.com. You can check out our podcast, The Crushing Cash Flow. We're on all the major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. That's probably the main source of contacts, but also Facebook, LinkedIn under Andrew Shetsky. Andrew, man, you, you have been absolutely incredible. So, so many great lessons here. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to connecting in the future. Really appreciate the opportunity, guys. It's a pleasure and an honor to connect with everybody. I think time management definitely is a key component of making this stuff work. I mean, you got to be somewhat organized, but I think, and I think we talked about that with, with Andrew on the, on the show. I think what's also important, maybe which we didn't talk about as much, is setting priorities, right? Because everybody has the same 24 hours. So if someone says that they don't have the time to do this, it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of priority. It's just not, not important enough for them to make the time for it. And somehow Andrew has done that. He appears to be someone who sits down and gains clarity and sets some goals for the year. And then he sits down and has a conversation with his wife. So now they have some clarity and some priorities. And so together, they can now prioritize their time. And I think that's a really important step. And then the second step after that is actually tackling and blocking, like we talked about, the time management pieces. Yeah. And I I think um, prioritization goes, I mean, it's, it's directly compatible with your time management. And I love how he was, he was setting aside, you know, blocks of time into his weeks. So his whole schedule is like, listen, that's a major component as to why he was able to acquire the 1100 units that he has is because it was consistent time management and consistent prioritization of 
this. And, and another part of that, which, which I love what he said was his prioritization to network. And I just relate to that a lot because when I was first trying to find Michael and Drew, that was a key priority for me was I had to prioritize networking, getting in front of people. It's tough with COVID, of course, but that was something, you know, the events are still back. He set up a criteria. He went networking aggressively. And lo and behold, he found opportunity out of that. Well, he was also clear about what his strengths are. And this is what there's really, I mean, two two major classes here, your deal finder or your capital raiser. And I'm not saying you have to be one or the other. It's just a lot of people either gravitate towards one and towards the other because to try to do both at the same time is 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 challenging, right? So even if you can do both, you might be more successful finding a deal. You might be more successful in raising capital. Bring that strength to a potential partner who lacks that. And I think figuring out what that is for you will shortcut a lot of those trial and error that maybe Andrew was going through in the beginning. And now he's really honing it down. Now he knows what he's good at. He's got his value proposition, his pitch. You know, he's like, hey, I can raise capital. And and so he brings that to operators. And eventually that will change. Like, like we said, goals change. But in the beginning, be really aware of what your strengths are and then go find out and partner with your complement. Yeah. In the, in the beginning... You're really only able to, you want to try to go as deep as possible in a skill set or two, because that's how you're going to be able to add the value to a partnership is when when you're just more than just a surface level uh, individual on whatever that skill set is. And the only way to ramp that up is to just pick it and go hard on it. Now you want to learn the other nuances of the business to understand in general, kind of what's going on. So you're not just, uh, you know, you don't understand how it all works together, but my goal in this business, just personally, was always to just be dangerous enough at a lot of things. And then there was a couple core skills that I had where I would go super deep on. And then over time, it's taken me you know, 10 years. And I'd say there's probably not a lot that I can't do. But in the beginning, you don't have that, that you haven't put in your 10,000 hours. And so one of the things he also mentioned that is so true in my life, and, and I'm sure a lot of yours is is that there is just chaos, a ton of it, uh, if you're really busy, but he's managed to find the fun in it, which that's the best thing ever, because if you're looking for that, it's just going to make things more enjoyable. That's exactly right. And you, you have to you have to find uh, ways to enjoy things because not everything is enjoyable. I mean, it's just not, right? So find it. Some things are just going to suck. They do. And you have to go through them, accept them. You can't fight them or resist them. You just got to find somewhere, find the joy in there. And I think that's really, really good advice because you got some good days and you got some not so good days. One of the things that he did is he got started by investing passively in multifamily uh, syndication. So if you're interested in doing that yourself, Gary and I would love to have a conversation with you through our investment company, Nighthawk Equity. And you can schedule a call with us at nighthawkequity.com and click the join button and fill out a short form and schedule a call with us. And we'd love to have a conversation about investing in, a, in one of our future deals. And you can use it as a lever jumping off point to get into active investing or continue investing passively and over time, take more and more money out of the stock market. So if that's you, schedule a call. We'd love to have a conversation with you. So thanks again for your time. Hope you guys inspired by the interview with Andrew today. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.